decade pumped with action films featuring hyper-masculine heroes whose guns were almost as big as their muscles, one came along toward the end that was decidedly different. And in doing so, Die Hard became one of the most iconic, one of the most copied, and some say the best action movie of all time. And one of the most debated in the last 30 years. Is it or isn't it a Christmas movie? This is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. Die Hard is about a New York cop, John McClane, a divorced dad who flies to L.A. to crash his ex-wife's company holiday party in hopes of rekindling their relationship and winds up being the only person who can save the staff from a violent group of greedy terrorists. I think it's less about his wife and more about his bromance with that one cop. With the buddy cop, yeah. yeah. It's like kind of a buddy cop movie at the same point. Yeah. yeah. Well, joining us today is Jeremy Arnold, Turner Classic Movies contributor and the author of Christmas in the Movies. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, one of the, one of the movies you cover in Christmas in the Movies is Die Hard, which the fact it's in there makes a strong statement. Well, it pretty much tells you whether I think it's a Christmas movie or not, doesn't it? Yes, <laughs> it does. Um, so you tell us to start why it is a Christmas movie. Oh. Because you, you're the person who gets to end the, the debate. Well, first, um, I will just say that I think when we argue about whether this or that movie is a Christmas movie, what we're really arguing is over our varying definitions of Christmas movies. Everyone really defines that term in their own way. And it's not really a genre because Christmas movies can exist in many genres, romances, comedies, musicals, action movies, even horror movies, I would say. So if someone says, well, Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie because um, because there's a lot of action and violence and a lot of blood in it, um, then, well, that's fine for them. It's not a Christmas movie. And who can really argue with that? But I define Christmas movie in this book very clearly. I say it's any movie in which the Christmas season um, plays a meaningful role in the story, in our experience of the story. And so Die Hard, yes, it does qualify because this is a movie that begins as one of the most common types of Christmas movie storylines, which is an estranged or dysfunctional family trying to reconnect, trying to rebuild themselves over the holidays. It starts with Bruce Willis as John McClane arriving in L.A., going to this office building where his estranged wife, played by Bonnie Bedelia, is, uh, works, and they're trying to patch, they're literally in a room trying to patch things up before the terrorists even enter the movie and take over the building. And, you know, then he's got to go into action and try and save the day. But the, the movie doesn't let go of that storyline throughout the rest of the film. We're always kept aware of this relationship issue between the two of them and that he's trying to fix it. And he does come to um, sort of uh, understand things about. Uh, about that storyline as he's fighting the terrorists. There are moments where he's sort of taking a break and talking to the cop, Al Powell, about it and, and, and so on. And the film also reminds us through sounds, and Christmas sounds, Christmas music, lots of dialogue, references to the holidays, you know, both poignant and comedic. So we're always kept aware of the fact that it's set on Christmas Eve and that Christmas is actually playing a role in, in the story as it unfolds. Do you think that, do you think part of how Die Hard became this iconic part of cinema is because of the Christmas elements? Or do you think if you'd stripped it out of it, it would still hold up as being like this movie that we all connected to and all attached to? Oh, it would definitely be uh, a major 
an influential action movie if it had not been set on Christmas. Um, because for reasons that have nothing to do with the Christmas storyline, it is, I mean, it is an iconic movie. It, it is in a, in a, in a decade that was in some ways defined by action movies because they were so popular back then. Right. Die Hard really changed the game and it really stood out for all sorts of reasons. Uh, you know, starting with just the craftsmanship of, of the film. Um, but you know, if it hadn't, if it wasn't set on Christmas Eve, the story would still work. But the references would be gone. The film would have to find another way to create a sort of cheeriness to it. Because it is. It's a joyful action movie. It right. really, it's, it's violent, but it's not unpleasant. It's fun and joyful and cheery in its own way. It really is. So they would have just had to find other ways of creating that. And maybe, you know, I think Christmas also, it heightens, it, it sort of enhances the emotions that come with the season, the highs and the lows. And so when you see a couple trying to reunite on Christmas Eve, it sort of makes it, it sort of underscores it more that it's on Christmas. So that would have been gone, but they, they could have found another way to, to do that. Yeah. Before I, I didn't know it was a Christmas movie until like we were watching it <laughs> like at the movie theaters. Cause I, I never saw it. I just knew Die Hard was like a big iconic action film. Yes. As so, mentioned yeah. by Brooklyn Nine-Nine frequently. That yeah. was your awareness of it. Yeah. Yeah. He references, <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he references Die Hard like at almost every episode. So <laughs> kind of got that. Um, one of the, so what's fascinating to me, I mean, his ex-wife is named Holly, you know, he, he, you know, he, he puts one of the terrorists out with ho, ho, ho written in blood on his shirt. I mean, there, there is so much that is Christmas, Christmasy about it. And other than the fact that it was released in July, I'm not really sure. Why do you think Bruce Willis says it is not a Christmas movie? (laughs) Um, I, I don't know. I haven't actually read his explanations of why, if he's ever given any. Yeah, I but, think it was like at a, I feel like it was at a roast, like the Comedy Central roast or something well, like that. maybe he just defines Christmas movie differently. As I said, everyone yeah. defines it differently. The movie was released in July. It didn't have any hint of Christmas in the advertising. Um, so it's sort of one of these accidental... It was not made as a Christmas movie. That is for sure. Like, the studio did not think of it as a Christmas movie in terms of the making of it and the marketing of it. Um, it's, I think more, I think that happens less these days. Now when Christmas is an element in a film, studios will really try and release it in December and make it a Christmas movie in terms of, you know, the advertising. Um, but it, I think it's a film that, I mean, when I first saw it in the summer of 88, I didn't think of it as a Christmas movie. I mean, I noticed Christmas was in it, but I think it's really in the years that followed that, as it became a cult movie because it's such a great action film, people sort of picked up on that element of it and turned it into a Christmas movie. It was a good excuse to watch it every every year, I guess. Uh, you know, during the 80s, we had Schwarzenegger, we had um, Sylvester Stallone, and then in their films, the Rambo films and, and Predator, Terminator, you know, all of these, in all of them, they're just these big, muscly guys, and they have tons of guns, they have tons of ammunition, and, you know, and they just come at you from all directions. And I was thinking that John McClane was a return to more of the classic cinema action hero, and that he's just a guy... And the you know he's he's just happens to be there and he has no moral choice but to get involved and to you know kill everyone else kill all the terrorists to save the people. 
Is it? Do you think that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, my my friend Eric Lichtenfeld, who uh, he wrote a great book on action cinema called Action Speaks Louder, and just recently he wrote an essay for the Library of Congress National Film uh, Film Registry about Die Hard. Every year, the, the Library of Congress selects twenty five movies to add to the film registry, and they get film historians and scholars to write these essays about each of the titles to put on the Library of Congress website for posterity to explain why the film is so essential. And he just did the one on Die Hard. And he, in reading this last night, I was reminded that he writes in his book on action films that the action movie really sprang from a mixture of the classic Hollywood Western, film noir, um, and the police procedural, which were all big in the decades before the 80s. And certainly John McClane is like, you know, a Gary Cooper Western hero. Yeah, you're right. It's a moral choice. The, the terrorists take over and, well, he's he's got to go into action and save the day. He doesn't even consider not doing that. Right. Because he's like a Western hero that way. Um, the film noir influence is there, even though it's it's a color film. In a lot of the shot designs and the lighting, there's some strong noir influence. Um, the police procedural aspect comes in because... There is a cop character who is sort of his buddy on the outside, and then of course there's bumbling police officers who and feds who uh, fight for jurisdiction and sort of ruin things. Um, <laughs> but he, but to get to your the main part of what you just said, yeah, he's like a working class, vulnerable, relatable uh, character. He's not superhuman like Stallone or Schwarzenegger, you know, not some otherworldly fantasy type. This is. You know, I mean, in a way, it's gritty reality, but of course, it's also fantasy because he's jumping off the top of the building and blasting his way, you know, through windows inside, and the building blows up. I mean, all kinds of crazy fantasy things happen, but it's nonetheless still has a feeling of grittiness, largely thanks to Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Willis, uh, you know, was already popular for Moonlighting, but Die Hard is really what made him a movie star. Oh, no question. I mean, he was, people were uh, criticizing the choice of him in this role before the movie even opened. You know, like, how could he do it? He's just a sort of dumb comedy. And, and he brought that to the role. There are lots of funny quips, you know, James Bond style, you know. But he, he makes it work, and uh, he does a lot of his own stunts, and, you know, he gets pretty bloody, he and his character. And um, I think he, he won over the cynics. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we always like to check in with Riley to see how this movie holds up. Um, so part of the reason that we started the podcast is that Riley uh, really loves 80s movies. And so we've sort of been going through them. Um, and then I love them and yet am horrified by them <laughs> as a parent. So, um, but I, I, so, so what did you think? How do you think they hold up today? Like, what do you mean? I mean, like- how do you think Die Hard holds up today? I mean, because you're used to, you know, the Hunger Games and Divergent, and that's kind of the action, and superhero movies. Those are really our action movies. Uh, Well, I think that's what my generation grew up with. But yeah, of course, I think everybody knows what Die Hard is. I think, uh, yeah. Okay, but you just saw it for the first time, so. Yeah, but I still knew what it was. But what did you think about it? Did you enjoy it? Did you roll your eyes at anything? Did you think that was so dated? I thought it was really good and that it's an iconic film. And Mm -hmm. there's a reason it's an iconic film, Mm because it's really good. (laughs) And it's, yeah, everything he said. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, one of the parts of the story that is so 80s is the fact of why John and Holly break up, which is that she's been offered this job. Her career is taking off, and he, as the man and the husband and the father, is uncomfortable with that relationship, Was is uncomfortable with her being the breadwinner. 
and her having a career that has more precedence than uh, an influence than his. And that seems to be, um, you know, and then that's what dr- clearly drives the breakup. I think the, one of the most 80s things about it is that LAPD does nothing. <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> like, that's what I got out of it. Um, I, I didn't think any of it was, like, like bad. You know, like, uh, 80s movie guide, like, to what's wrong with your parents. I don't think there's anything... Well, okay, so here's what we have. We do have a couple hooking up, having sex in a, uh, you know, in an office. Um, Because not that uh, that that doesn't happen at office Christmas parties. I'm sure it does. But the fact that they had, no, but they had to show the boobs, right? Because it's an Um, 80s movie. You had to show boobs. Um, And, you know, you, and I think Ellis is sort of a, a, I don't know, do you think of Ellis as an 80s character or do you think he's just an awful person? That's, remember, Ellis is the name of um, Holly's coworker who goes in to negotiate with the yeah, terrorists. Yeah, and gets himself killed, yeah. Yeah. He I'm, seems like a total 80s character. Yeah, he really, that's sort of a data type of character. He's very funny and entertaining and, you know, you love to hate him, but very 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, the, the, to me, there's really just one moment that sticks out of being the, what's wrong with your parents? You know, the things that, that we saw that we accepted that today, just, you're kind of horrified at. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think there's anything that wrong with this movie. Okay. Besides terrorism. And well, like, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, yes. Or as, as Hans Gruber says, we're not terrorists, we're thieves. Right, right. So, right. Yeah, they he just, doesn't like to use that label. Well, they go in, they like, they look like, they know that. Yeah. That's that's their um, that's their ruse, that they're terrorists, when they're really yeah. not. Um, yeah, and Alan Rickman's so great in this. <laughs> no, I think the moment when we find out what the story is of Al, right? Why is why is Al you know why is he a desk jockey why is he doing that John gets to the bottom of it do you remember what it was because we both looked at each other in the movie when he said it when he shot a kid yeah yeah like I shot a kid and they have like sympathy music and then you know the end in the very last scene right where he's got the one who has the gun he's never held again never shot again right right he's like yes he got through that you know he's no longer haunted by shooting a 12 year old good for you Al good for you (laughs) (laughs) it's just like I'm like how does Al still have a job you shouldn't be a cop anymore like you should be off the force you should be you should be working at what Oh. What do you have to say? No, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to fight anyone right now like that. Yeah, I know. That's why, that's to me the most shock. 30 years later. That's true. You could not do a, the movie today and have that be the, that storyline mm-hmm. because we just see it too often on cell phone, you know, videos that make the news of things like that. So, you know, and it's not to say that maybe those things didn't happen as much back then, but the technology of capturing them and them all becoming news stories and the you know, becoming such a cultural and societal issue. Um, it couldn't happen because of the lack of technology back then. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, any other thoughts, Jeremy? Well, you know, I was just thinking when we were talking about the terrorists, they they look so upscale and yeah. sort of like yuppie-ish, which is also kind of 80s, you know, this sort of like 80s bad guys, the German and, and everything. Um, I, I I love that, but it's, it makes it, it adds to the contrast with Bruce Willis and makes him look even more sort of working class, relatable, vulnerable in that sense. Because the contrast of him to um, Alan Rickman and his cohorts, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, originally, the original script, they were terrorists, and it was a very dark political uh, plot that they had in mind, and it was a very violent, serious film. And John McTiernan 
the director came on board and he said, you know, I don't, this is too dark. I want to lighten it up. Let's make, let's make them thieves. Let's make it a caper movie, a heist film for them instead. Cause everyone loves a heist movie. They're sort of inherently kind of fun. And so that was a way that, you know, the sort of lightness to the film was very specifically injected into what originally was not so light. And it's also worth noting, my friend Eric uh, Lichtenfeld, he writes that um, when we hear Ode to Joy in the movie, which actually underscores a lot of the score to the film, but it's a very Christmas-related piece of music. And when the movie lets go with a rip-roaring Ode to Joy, it's the scene where Alan Rickman and the bad guys finally get into that safe. Mm -hmm. And it's this moment of triumph. But it's the bad guys that we're sharing the triumph and the Christmas (laughs) music with, not the good guys. So that's another example of how, you know, the movie makes it overall sort of cheery and joyful, uh, even though there are good and bad guys where we sort of delight in both sides. I wanted to know too. So in your in your book, Christmas in the Movies, um, yeah, of course, and it, it, it is a collaboration with Turner Classic Movies. Right. So there's a lot of classic cinema in there, but you actually have several more recent entries. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have Elf. Uh, what and what are some of the other ones? Oh well, Elf and Love actually are the two mm-hmm. most recent ones that are in there. A few other ones after that at least get mentioned here and there. Um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh, Little Women the Winona Ryder version, um, Home Alone. So, you know, movies from the nine, yeah, the nineties and early two thousands. I mean, I think I would have gotten hate mail if I did a book on Christmas movies and those titles were not included. Yeah. But it also, I just wanted to show that, you know, those films, even though they're not as old as it's a wonderful life or Christmas in Connecticut, you know, they are modern classics and they are movies that people return to every single December. And part of the idea of the book was to highlight these movies that we do go back to in, in this rotation every year, you know, older and newer. And there's still room for new movies to, you know, join that list. When mm-hmm. John Favreau made Elf, he said at the time that he specifically wanted to make a Christmas movie that everyone would watch every year. Mm-hmm. And um, he succeeded. Yeah. You know? Other people haven't, but he, he did. And a lot of these movies were not made with that in mind, especially the older ones. And back in the 30s and 40s, no one thought that their movies would ever be seen again, really. Mm-hmm. So they, they would be shocked. Um, and It's a Wonderful Life was not a success at the box office when it opened. And so, you know, Capra, I think, in later years was very delighted that it was rediscovered. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've been working as a, a parent critic for... Uh, like over 15, more than 15 years. But before that, <laughs> Home Alone has been banned from my house. <laughs> Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen it without my permission? Yes? Okay. I think I did it, yeah, at Kayla's as well. Like, yeah. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I have a real problem with Home Alone. Um, because... Yeah, tell me what's wrong with Home Alone. What's wrong with Home Alone is that they have, uh, cartoon violence done with, with with the kids. I mean, there's a kid acting as if he's the roadrunner, right? Practically, I mean, dropping an anvil, you know, I mean, putting an iron in their face, like all of the violence that happens to these criminals. We were also not allowed to watch Tom and Jerry. That is correct. <laughs> Banned from the house. A <laughs> no. lot of Cartoon Network shows were not allowed to be watched. What about like the Roadrunner and the Coyote? Same thing. So that, no, that one's, mm. that one's okay because I think that there really is a distinction between a, a Roadrunner and a Coyote who are battling each other. And but Tom I, and Jerry I, the same thing? Uh, that one's just so, I don't know. <laughs> I can't take Tom and Jerry. It's too much. It's too violent. 
But, uh, I mean, the Simpsons, or Ren and Stimpy, right? Like, Ren and Stimpy is making fun of of Tom and Jerry, right? Is it Ren and Stimpy, or what, like, what's the cartoon? On the Simpsons? Yeah, what's yeah, the cartoon in The Simpsons that they run? I have run? no idea. Itchy and scratchy. It's itchy, it's itchy and scratchy. But, yeah, there is, like, a whole running joke about this awful, you yeah. know, cat and mouse that are so violent, and parents just let their kids watch it. So, no, you're not watching Tom and Jerry. I don't care if you're almost 18. And, <laughs> I'm and, also not allowed to watch Family Guy, either. No. <laughs> okay. but I grew up watching The Simpsons. That's because I didn't have any control over that. You watch that. This is what happens. If you divorce somebody, you lose control <laughs> over what happens at their house. That is why you should try to make it work as much as you can. Um, uh, yeah, so so Home Alone, I have issues with that because their hero is a kid and he is exacting that kind of violence. And I think then smaller children of that age would watch and think that those kind of things would be okay and they might imitate it. Um, I also, one of the very few films, the films I've walked out on will surprise you. (laughs) There's not been many. (laughs) I think there's only been two. And one was Scent of a Woman. I really thought it was terrible. I know I I hold that opinion alone. Um, And the other one was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. (laughs) But I think there's a reason that had nothing to do with the movie. We watched it recently because we had a a friend over who it was their tradition to watch it. So I was like, okay, fine, we'll watch it. And, um, uh, and, And the reason I walked out is that I was seeing it in a theater and the people behind me were sitting forward right over my shoulder, just like sick and noisy and obnoxious. And I just like, it just ruined the whole experience. I hear you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but, and that is rated what? Oh, was it rated? Yeah. Do you remember? Is it Uh, PG-13 or R? I know Vacation was R. No. No, Christmas Vacation. I can't remember. I'm going to guess PG-13. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, because I mean, I'm trying to remember the difference from, since now I've only seen it once <laughs> since the 80s where I walked out. But well, I know. did you like it any better in the better setting? I mean, did it did it work for you when you saw it a second time recently? I I did, but I I mean, there's still for me because I always see things through the view of who's watching it with me. You yeah. know, if if there's if my teenagers or my kids are watching it with me, then I'm like there, there's references to pot and there's you know like sexual inappropriate stuff. So I'm just always <laughs> biting my nails or like earmuffs, you know, blindfolds. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's funny because what I I mean I guess that's true, but when I think of Christmas, the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation movie, I just think of the great, you know, the the way it builds gags, the way it works as a piece of comedy storytelling. It harkens back to Laurel and Hardy, you know, the whole thing on the roof and the ladder and trying mm-hmm. to put the lights for one. It is. It, it just things build. These little details build and create this these great comic sequences. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of that in the film. And that is, to me, why why I enjoy it so much. It's not my favorite Christmas movie, but I, I enjoy it. And I, I get why it's so popular. Because the things like making fun of someone springing lights all over their house, I mean, that is something that is so relatable, too. Because what neighborhood doesn't have one house that is way overdone and tacky that way, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a very, like, American thing, that, <laughs> that, that kind of idea for comedy. So what is your favorite Christmas movie? It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's a sort of boring, uh, predictable answer, but, I mean, it's, you know, it just is the ultimate Christmas movie because it is very honest about the the joys of the season and the the despair and loneliness that come with Christmas time, I think. And, it you know, it, a lot of that movie is very dark. Uh, I mean, it turns into almost a film noir or a horror movie for, for quite a while, and it's traumatic, but it also has some of the 
you know, most intense joy of any movie that Hollywood ever made. And, you know, Christmas runs throughout. And um, so, I don't know, I just, um, you know, it's an emotional experience. It takes a lot out of you, I think. And we tend to remember it only for the joy and often describe it only as some happy film, which, you know, is not really the case. It's not only that. So that's why I like it. It's just the, the honesty of it. Well, I think one of the great things that feels, um, you know, we have such an issue with depression and suicide now that, and, and the holidays do bring out more depression, um, in people as they feel lonely and disconnected. And then I think with, with, the, the social media is only exacerbated, you know, because now we see other people who have curated their life to show the best moment of their holiday. And so right. you look at that so longingly, like, oh, look how much fun they're having in, you know. <laughs> no, I was really surprised when I when I finally, with Turner Classic Movies, determined the list of 30 movies that would be in the book. At a, at a certain point, I realized that four of them have scenes of either attempted or contemplated suicide. That's more than 10% of that book. That's, I thought that was a pretty high number yeah. for Christmas movies. And, you know, I mean, statistically, I think suicide rates actually do rise during the Christmas season. So, I mean, I don't It always mean, feel like Hollywood deaths do. I mean, yeah. right? The numbers always start coming in around Thanksgiving until right after the new year where we lose people. It's weird. I know. Well, that's like, this is a sad way to end Yeah, I don't podcast. mean to like bring down the vibe <laughs> of the show. But. Okay, so what? So the, my favorite Christmas movie, where's, what's the, what, it's it's also a vacation one. It's the one where like, it's the Unaccompanied minors? It's like one of the funniest Christmas movies ever. Okay. Something vacation or whatever. Hmm. Remember, it starts off, they like get like this really big tree in the middle of the snowy forest and that's national lampoon's christmas vacation oh yeah, yeah that cut one. down the tree okay well there you go wait you didn't like that one well i've not seen when that I saw movie it in the... 20 billion times how <laughs> okay. did you not see that i did i saw it in the theater and i had a bad experience no, but and, I I... Left. <laughs> and then i decided i hated the movie but i was <laughs> that was 20, it 20 years later and <laughs> i still saw it 20 billion times before you did i know that's weird because you have friends that you go to their house i think that <laughs> no matter how tight a ship you run I know. She's still going to find her own favorites. I know. I don't know why you do this. Well, well, let me just say that it's got, now that everything is streaming, it's become um, impossible. I mean, you know, this is, this is a few years ago is how I woke up to the fact that my tight ship was completely falling apart when you're like, oh, I just watched this new series and it's so good and what's What's it it called called? shameless (laughs) and i'm like you can't watch that and then she's like oh there's this great prison drama and what is it orange and i'm like it's the new black you can't watch that oh i just finished it (laughs) so yeah Yeah, that's why i'm in my room most of the time like Mm -hmm. i don't watch tv up here well my favorite christmas special okay now that you know what a puritan i am um which one do you think is my favorite one to watch with the kids it's a special. It's not a movie. A, a television, like animated yes. special. Yes. Uh, maybe the Charlie Brown Christmas. No, I don't like Charlie Brown. Oh, oh okay. Because <laughs> hey. he, because he's just like he's always. He never wins, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do feel so bad for that. I, like, don't like watching it either because they're just so mean to They're him. so mean. He's the he's bullied. It's, I mean, Lucy, and he just yeah. he always goes in and thinks, no, I'm not going to trust you, and she promises. Okay, so no, not How about, how the Grinch stole Christmas? 
No, that one's, that one's fine. I, I like it. I go. I like the 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 one when Dr. Seuss was still alive. Um, then I'll go with Jim Carrey. The newest one from Universal. I, yeah, no, that I, I meant the original TV special. Yeah, that's the with Boris Karloff's voice. Yeah, yeah no, that is oh, really? classic. I and I like that um, one, but no, my wait, favorite, favorite is A Year Without a Santa Claus. That's the one where we get the heat miser and the snow miser. Oh my and that I'm Mr. Heat Miser. <laughs> I'm Mr. Sun. We have a t- moving singing snowman that sings that song and my little brother plays it eighty times a day. So <laughs> every December. So that's fun. So that's I can't wait for it to break. <laughs> yeah. And then after that I would go with the Santa Claus. That's my other oh. that's my favorite. Okay. I was I was gonna I thought you were gonna like what's the and this, the claymation ones? Well Rudolph that's and, Yeah, the Rudolph. Yeah, one. but Year Without a Santa Claus is the Rankin Bass. Yeah. <laughs> they're awful and yet, you know, like they're but there's a classic. I love that. I think Even that's though, also why there were very few um, feature film Christmas movies made in the 60s and 70s. There are very few in the book. I think it's because they all went to television in those decades. There were yeah. so many Christmas specials on TV that there were, you know, far fewer made for the big screen. And why wasn't the Santa Claus in your book? I actually considered it, but um, it, that got cut at a certain point because I was trying to... F- it was just about balancing the older movies and the newer ones, and it is a Turner Classic movie book, so the bulk of the book is the older ones. And I had fewer slots for the newer ones, and I just felt that the ones I went with were more sort of uh, vital in terms of the way I define Christmas movies than Santa Claus. But, you know, if I ever do a second edition of the book and maybe add 10 or 15 more titles, I'm pretty sure that would get in there. Okay, good. Good. (laughs) I love it. Um, So I do think Christmas in the movies is an excellent gift to give for the holidays, um, especially for older family members who are so tough to buy for when you want to remember them. So I, I've given one to my dad, so hopefully he doesn't hear this before he opens the present. Um, and then also um, my husband's uh, grandmother, um, you know, because, I mean, they love movies, and I think it's a great way to sort of help them, you know, be nostalgic, share something with them. It's such a beautiful coffee table book as well, one you can have out, and then one you can bring out every year and put prominently on the coffee table. Exactly. That's where you put a coffee table. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Jeremy Arnold, thank you so much for being here. And so... Thank you. And you can get your... You can get Christmas in the movies anywhere, right? Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yeah. uh, Just Walmart, Target, and um, and also the brick-and-mortar Barnes & Nobles have them, too. Mm -hmm. So that's a good place um yeah and if you're listening to this podcast later um turn classic movie tcm.com or shop.tcm.com yes, they, they will hold it they will have it forever and ever i'm sure as I, long as you I hope so yeah yeah so they, they they should have it even if it's like july and you're like i really want that book right. <laughs> yes christmas in july <laughs> there you go all right thank you so much this is 80s movie guide the guide to what's wrong with your parents and you can follow us on social media on instagram uh twitter facebook just by going to at 80s movie guide and also check out the website 80smovieguide.com Thank you.